life is a trade-off. Do you work more for the things that make you happy or do you take a little less and be happy just through the things that you are not buying but you're producing? If you're someone who refuses to go along to get along, if you question whether the status quo is good enough for you and your family, you want to leave this world better off than you found it, and you consider independence a sacred thing, you may be a prepper, a gardener, a homesteader, a survivalist, a farmer, a rancher, an environmentalist, or a rugged outdoorsman. This show is for those who choose the road less traveled, the road to self-reliance, for those living a daring adventure, life off the grid. An experienced and innovative filmmaker, Backyard Green Films owner and director-producer Rick Bowman has cataloged over 25 years of broadcast, commercial, and corporate video experience. Rick combines skillful expertise and artistic vision to create top-quality projects for clients and has learned by experience that each project requires a special approach and solution to meet its goals. Backyard Green Films received an Indie Fest Award in 2012 for their documentary, Hillsville 1912, A Shooting in the Court, as well as winning Best Documentary Award at the Minefield Film Festival in Los Angeles for their film, Banjos, Bluegrass, and Squirrel Barkers. Currently, they're in post-production on their latest film, The Holstein Dilemma, Heritage Breeds, and the Need for Biodiversity. A farmer at heart, Ilara lives on a mini farm with her husband, Rick, in an urban oasis located in the middle of San Diego, where she tends to eight chickens, two worm bins, and fruit trees galore. She transferred this passion and life experience to Backyard Green Films, where she is helping to produce innovative films and media for future generations. Armed with a BS in business from University of Redlands, and an impressive resume in voiceover production, project management, and accounting, Alara brings a wealth of knowledge to the production team in her role as executive producer. She could be found diving deep into the data stream rabbit hole at late and early hours, researching endless questions, new topics, and new people to interview in her role as the host of the Agriculture Podcast. Rick and Alara travel around the country in their teardrop trailer, nicknamed Maggie, finding interesting people to talk to and new things to see. They actually enjoy being in the car together for hours on end, and put together, they have clocked at least 150,000 miles in almost all 50 states. Rick has one more to go. Rick and Alara Bowman, welcome to the Off the Grid Biz Podcast. Brian, thank you. We're thank glad you to be so here. Much. So besides what we heard in your bios, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Where do we start with that one? <laughs> I don't know. I'll let you go first. How's that? <laughs> okay. I am a, a currently a bookkeeper and tax preparer at a small CPA firm in San Diego, California. And that's my, I guess, my first job, you would say, or my second or my third. I don't, I don't know. How are we planning those these days, babe? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. We stay on the road a fair amount of the time. Yes, we do. And um, my background is in audio originally, and then I moved over into uh, filmmaking a few years ago with that uh, first film you mentioned, Hillsville 1912, A Shooting in the Court, which started out just as a passion project for me. 
And uh, as time went on, Alara and I founded Backyard Green Films from that, uh, made a couple other documentaries, and now we're working on a project that started as Alara's passion project, but it has become <laughs> mine as well. Uh, we we uh, found out a few years ago at a Mother Earth News Fair in Albany, Oregon, about heritage breed animals, and we dove down that rabbit hole, and we've been going around the last, oh, about three years interviewing farmers and scientists and uh, people uh, that uh, raise these breeds and know about these breeds, and uh, that's how the film started. And from that, we uh, started the agriculture podcast a few months ago. But we are people that find a great number of things interesting in multiple fields, and so we keep finding things that we don't know if other people know about, and we would like to share them. So we've been running around the country for three years on this particular documentary, we probably have a good, what, 450 years of material that we'd like to cover. <laughs> yeah, there's an endless amount of material out there, that's for sure. It's awesome that you've adapted such a really cool skill as creating documentary films that you can plug in whatever you want into that media source. So that's really neat to be able to see. And how did you go into that? You said you, you were originally with coming at it from an audio perspective. So, so what led you into filmmaking? Well, I always had an interest, but you were correct to go back. Uh, I came in it from an audio perspective. Um, I had been in the Navy. And when I got out of the Navy, I was stationed up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I went to school up there for audio recording. And originally, my passion was to go in and work in a recording studio, working with bands. And uh, that kind of fell through, but I did stay with audio, working with them. Uh, I got a job at an audio and video production company here in San Diego, not long after I graduated from school. And so that uh, opened my eyes up to the visual aspect of it. While I worked there as an audio recording engineer, and I started noodling around with doing little videos on my own and 25 years later, that's, uh, that's what I'm trying to do now. I'm trying to become, uh, we've been making documentary films, and this is our fourth film that we're working on now. Teeny bit more equipment than when you first started, isn't it? <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> He's a music buff and a film buff. So it, when you are into things in those realms, there are a great number of topics that come up. So he, he definitely is, you've expanded your repertoire and your your interest level, but most of them are around film and what film can bring to popular culture and how they can um, open new worlds for people, I think. At least I found you, you're very interested in that. Yes, and I think Alara touched on it earlier. We just, we both find life interesting and yes. stories interesting. And I, on the film that we're working on right now, uh, one of the big things to me besides learning about the heritage breed animals is the personal stories. The people are phenomenal. That's kind of how Rick uh, got started, and I have, I don't know if I've been carried along or I drag you into new topics. But. <laughs> I kind of grabbed her by the hand and said, come on, let's do this. <laughs> we both like to travel, though, and so we keep finding new things that we, we'd like to discuss with people. But I do, um, like I said, bookkeeping and tax prep, but my father was a, a doctor that was really, by nature, a farmer or a rancher, and so I think genetically, I love to go tromping around fields of cattle and manure. <laughs> growing things and dirt and so it's this film has definitely seemed to be a natural progression toward that and I really love research I don't know if that's the tax and the accounting thing I'm, I'm a detail girl so I can get lost for hours and hours just finding uh, interesting things to topics that I find interesting so 
that's really great. It's very, very cool. There are so many levels to what you guys do. I'm trying to figure out where to go first here with this. <laughs> and what I want to do is kind of start out at the beginning of my journey in finding you. So I got to meet you at the Mother Earth News Fair that just happened over in Albany, Oregon for 2019. And you guys had a booth set up there. How did that all set up? Well, uh, I'll jump in on this. Mother Earth News contacted us. We had gone the last two years to the Mother Earth News Fair. We had a booth last year at the Albany Fair and then also at the Mother Earth News Fair in Kansas. And they reached out to us this year and asked us if we would uh, like to come back and be a media partner with them. And we said yes. And in doing that, we set up a booth as, uh, with them again. Plus, we were going around and filming some little short interviews for Mother Earth News Fair to put up on our YouTube channel and kind of give uh, people out in the digital realm that don't make it uh, in the internet world that don't make it to the Mother Earth News Fair, kind of give them a, a inside peek at what the fairs are about. As you know, there are a great number of different types of people that come to the fairs. Mm -hmm. We met there. And so to us, it was a great thing to help to introduce new people to the topic, but also some many of the different aspects that are incorporated in farming come sort of come to the middle there, homesteading and farming. And so that was a natural, um, natural meeting place for us. Is there one main goal that you were hoping to achieve by having a booth there or, or multiple goals that you're, you were hoping to get to just as far as your organization is concerned? Well, it's, again, it's been a progression for us. It's kind of interesting. We, we definitely would love to get more people aware of the topics. See, in, in filmmaking, it's not always going to be something unless you do Spider-Man 2 or 3 or <laughs> a big sequel. You know, you, the funding is not there like it is with other things. So it's sort of a labor of love in many ways. We really feel it's important for people to learn about these topics. And so we have been, over the last couple of years, finding ways that we can maybe find a way to make this thing um, cost effective to where we could keep doing it. And so one of the things that we've been doing is we've been doing podcasting and we've been doing um, segments and we would, you know, we're thinking, oh, hey, you know, getting people aware of this is one of the ways that you can monetize your projects. Again, this is one of those things that many of the people that come to fairs like this or that do podcasting, they say, we don't have to make a fortune, but we just have to be able to fund it so we can keep doing it. And so we thought, you know what, let's go to the Mother Earth News Fairs. Let's go to, we've been to Santa Rosa and the Heirloom Expo. We've mm -hmm. been to a couple of these uh, different events. And we found that people are really, really interested in the topic, but they don't find out about it unless you get the news out. So that's one of the big purposes that we've been doing is trying to raise awareness. And if I may add, Brian, to answer your question a little further is we felt like the Mother Earth News Fair and the Heirloom Festival would be reaching our audience uh, that would be interested in our documentary and our podcast. And we felt like those would be the people coming in and might be interested in seeing the film, hearing a podcast. That would be a good grassroots way to get the word out. If you had to describe that ideal person, your ideal audience or, or eventual customer, who would that person be? <laughs> Boy, that's a kind of throwing a dart because going around the United States and up to Canada the last three years, we have met so many people that come from all different backgrounds 
that are farmers. But also, don't you think it's something that not everybody knows about because everybody has such label shock. They've got label fatigue. The consumer, the average consumer knows about organic and free range and pasture-based and you know natural, all of these labels that get put on food, but they don't have any idea of all of the rest of the variables that go into the mix. So, you know, people don't really understand that it takes different resource requirements for different foods. It takes different resource requirements to raise animals in different ways. And it's not all gonna be a label related thing. And since small farmers are having such a really hard time now, and a lot of them are getting to retirement age, I think the average farmer's still what, 58? Uh, so it's really important for people to understand the components that go into their food. So it's, it's kind of been something where this applies to everybody. And we may start out with a target thing, but for instance, at the last Mother Earth News Fair, we probably met as many people as we wanted to interview as we did that we wanted to tell about our <laughs> podcast. So for us, it is the sky's the limit with the people that we want to talk to and that we want to learn from. And it's, all avenues, all walks of life, because we all eat and we all consume. So, so it probably doesn't answer your question what no. our target audience <laughs> is, but I think I would have to say, if I had to pin it down, people are interested in where their food comes from yes. more and more these days. So I would say that would be our target audience, people that, are, that want to know how this animal is raised or uh, where it came from or where their vegetables are grown at. And so I would say that would probably be the closest thing I could say to our target audience. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to pause the conversation right there. What you're listening to right now is a special edition podcast. These episodes all have to do with the Mother Earth News Fair in Albany, Oregon of 2019. At the time I'm recording this, we have learned so much about how to take advantage of events, and I want you to be able to use this information in your own business. Go to brianjpombo.com slash secrets. We are going to be putting out helpful materials on how you can use events to grow your business. When you go to this page, you will either see our latest programs, or if you make it there early enough, you will see an email address capture page. Put in your email address, and we will be sure and update you as soon as we get these out there. You're not going to want to miss this. If you get in early enough, you can get a special deal. These are principles that never go away. These programs will be based on the experience of people who have written books, spoken at the events, or exhibited there, talking about how to use events, books, and speaking, all to build your business. That's B-R-I-A-N-J-P-O-M-B-O dot com slash S-E-C-R-E-T-S. BrianJPombo.com slash secrets. And now, back to the conversation. And going off of that point, you know, we've been talking around it a little bit, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about what the concept is of heritage breeds and biodiversity and what the topic that you guys are going into with the Holstein Dilemma? Well, there are many, many breeds out there that are not utilized commonly in agriculture. We're not saying that one breed is better than the other, but most people don't know that our agriculture has become very much a monoculture. 
you know, if you have a beef cow, it's probably an Angus. If you have a dairy cow, it's 80, 85% of them are Holstein. If you have a meat chicken, it's a Cornish cross. And most people don't know that our production has become really, really narrow in terms of the animals that we use. So heritage breed animals are, for the most part, breeds that a lot of them have history to them. A lot of them have you know, thousands of years of history that are a part of what, what has gone into making these animals. A lot of them are, are, have different characteristics than the average agricultural animal. So they might have uh, pest resistance that's um, been developed over time in a certain place. For instance, the Texas longhorn is an animal that is sort of an amalgamation of different influences, but it came over from the Spanish, I believe, did it not? Uh, Yes. The Spanish cattle. So they came to Florida and then they dispersed from there. Some went, uh, they were doing beef production in Hispaniola, big economic influence of the time. But then because there were no fences, a lot of these animals either get loose or they're taken place to place and they adapt over time to the conditions of the location. So as you can imagine, the longhorn would be very different when it arrived as a type of Spanish cow, a certain type of breed with certain characteristics. When it gets to Florida, either the strong ones make it or don't from (laughs) the ones that have uh, heat tolerance or pest resistance. I've got pests the size of Volkswagen bugs in Florida. (laughs) So as that cow moves to a different location like Texas that's very dry and has brush and sagebrush and has different, uh, maybe different ticks and different, different things that impact its ability to survive, it evolves. When you put a couple hundred years into this, a couple hundred years later, you have a very different cow in Florida that you would have in Texas. And they look different and they react different. They have different heat tolerances. They have different food requirements. Um, and different productions. This is something that we are starting to lose because now we are expecting animals to do the same thing or to to produce at a very, very high level, but they're only going to produce under certain conditions for the most part, or they're going to maximize production under certain conditions. So heritage breed animals are not necessarily ones that are used in the main production um, lines that we use now, but they have characteristics that have developed in certain places in certain locations that are really helpful to us. And so if they want to be able to use the heat tolerance of a longhorn, they have to have a longhorn that will allow for that. It has to still exist. And if we don't have an economic viability component to them, we're not going to have longhorns in a hundred years because all we'll have is a a Holstein or or an Angus. Anyway, this applies to all the different, if it's a chicken or a cow or a pig, there are animals that had developed over thousands of years that are going extinct because they're not commonly used in production. Just to add to that, I don't think um, a lot of people realize that even just our the world's 8,000 livestock breeds that we have out there, 21% of them are in danger of extinction. And every time we lose one of those animals, it's gone and we've lost that biodiversity. The best I could sum it up is maybe like what's happening right now in the Amazon. You know, they say that is the lungs of the world. And if it's burning up, are we going to be able to breathe? There might be something one of these animals can contribute that we don't know right now that we might need in the future. Yeah, it's in our self-interest to keep these things alive because we're in such a rapidly changing climate and economic climate as well that you never know. You can't really predict which kind of components are going to be necessary in the future. 
but you do know that if you at least save the pieces, you have the ability to to put them together in a different way in the future. If you put them all in the same cake, then you only have the same kind of cake from here out. I think many people don't know that many parts of our history are, are really closely tied with agriculture. If you think about the, um, the milking Devon, that's a really interesting cow. It came over in, gosh, one of the farmers we interviewed, his family came over and brought the Devons over 1630, I think. 1635. Yeah, 1635. Little red cow, it's a good milker, good for, it's a good oxen uh, animal. Yeah. It pulls a plow at a really good clip. Tri-purpose or quad-purpose animal, actually. Milk, beef, oxen, and uh, gosh, what's the other one? I forget there's another component there besides the fertilizer that they produced. But there's only 1,200 of them, I think, left in the oh, world. Wow. And, and they came over from Devon, England, and there's no more milking Devons in England. They're gone. They're gone. Now they're called the American milking Devon because they don't have them anymore over there. And there's only about 12 or 1,300 here in North America. But why wow. would you have a Devon when you can have a Holstein that produces, you know, two or three, four times the milk? And that's the problem that's occurred is that the other animals are just not having an economically viable um, path toward the future. Yeah, and from what I heard, too, in our studies, our research, a lot of these animals fell out of favor after World War II. And understandably, we have to feed the planet. But what we're trying to say, and we're not trying to say we don't need large ag we do to feed the world but we don't want to give up on these animals as well because we need the biodiversity they are important too and so for a small farmer they are great they got, a lot, to offer. They got a lot to offer it's such a very interesting topic and then you could take it in so many different ways i'm sure the editing process is going to be difficult with all the interviews <laughs> and so forth that you guys have gone through I can only imagine you could probably make five movies out of the same topic. Yes, we have. You're hitting a marital topic here. <laughs> we keep finding things that we think are fascinating, and Rick keeps saying, honey, honey, we're in post. That means we're supposed to start cutting now. Yeah. Well, if you're not careful, you end up with a four-hour movie, which I don't think most people want to sit down and watch no. four-hour movies. But, but as you yourself know, editing is an important process. Yes, that's right. And taking it back, knowing kind of the background of this topic, knowing your customer and everything, and you were discussing uh, monetizing the whole project. I saw that you sell DVDs. Is that your main source of uh, monetizing for this, or, is there, or are there other forms that you're using? Uh, you're saying for when we finish this film? Yeah. How are you making this lifestyle possible for yourself? You know? <laughs> uh, well, okay. So here's the accountant speaking. Yeah. And I don't know if this makes me a bad accountant. We have self-funded this. Yes. Uh, because we think it's an important topic. So the decision that we made was based on informing as many people as we could. We would love to continue to do this. I work for a person that's really... Um, this really understanding about bigger picture ideas and mm -hmm. about a triple bottom line and how you might want to leave the world a better place than you found it. We don't just have a, a fiscal bottom line. We have a quality of life decision that we've made that we're going to make this film and hopefully continue to do it. That said, we would like to figure out how to be able to continue to do this in the future and to bring this to a larger audience because we think it's a really important topic and we think there are great stories. So that's sort of where the monetizing comes in is that we'd like to continue after 
this to be able to continue the process and to keep bringing stories to to light because the world's a really fascinating place. But we have the ability because Rick has his own business and he has a video business that the equipment portion of this is something that we've been able to handle. Um, he already has the equipment for his production company. And so we're able to do it in a way that's more cost effective. But, you know, as, you, as I'm sure you know, in the long run, that's not the easiest thing to maintain because mm -hmm. you have to keep buying equipment. So that's sort of the but I will jump in as the non-accountant <laughs> and as the filmmaker. Yes. And uh, I will say that I want everyone to see all my films and I want to monetize them. Yes. And by doing so, I do have a contract with a distribution company for our last film we did and that are ready to distribute this one as well for us, MVD yes. out of Philadelphia. And also we are hoping to talk with uh, some different broadcasters in the future to see if sell the film to them that way to sh have it shown uh, whether that be a cable channel or a network channel of some sort excellent well that that's great news and that's it's really cool that you've been able to stretch things out and look at the big picture and see things beyond just the bottom line and also be able to fit it in with your current lifestyle and be able to work it through that that's really great you know it's sort of an interesting thing the people that we speak with the interviews we've done we have probably what 80 about 80 interviews yeah. that we've done over the last three years it's not an uncommon thing now for people to want meaning in life and mm. this is one of the decisions that many of the farmers have made most all of them have full-time jobs they have other jobs to be able to support their ability to do what they do because many of the heritage breed animals aren't going to make money in the same way that a large-scale production facility is. And so they kind of keep this alive by working somewhere else. We sort of feel a little bit of a kinship to the farmers that we speak with. Mm -hmm. But we also understand that if, if you can make the, the process, the project, the animal, whatever, economically viable and self-sufficient on its own, it's better for the longevity. In the long run, you can always make it because you're not always having to put money into something and not get it out. I'll just throw in there, one of our interviews is with the actress Isabella Rossellini. I don't mm. know if you're familiar oh, with yeah. her. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, but she has a 28-acre farm in Long Island, New York, and has really gotten into the heritage breed. She raises heritage breed chickens and turkeys and, she's got a pig. and a pig as well. Yeah. And she told us when we interviewed her that farmers are like her as their artist. And all they want to do is be able to, they're willing to give up certain things to live the lifestyle that they want to live. Just like an actor, a singer, a painter, farmers are the same way. It's a quality of life decision. That's very insightful. I've, you don't hear it described that way very often. But I grew up working on the family cattle ranch. I totally understand that concept. And it's not just true of people from an agricultural background, but so often we'll take artists and, and put them off to the side and say, well, they're doing it out of a passion. But really, many people in many walks of life are doing it out of a passion and finding a way to make money along the way. But it's part of that lifestyle. It's part of discovering the life that you want, uh, a life with meaning, a life with a cause, and being able to weave that in with, with reality, you know, and that's great. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I think most people, if they're doing something they like, they don't care if they don't have a million dollars in the mm -hmm. bank and live in a big house. They're living their life and they have a passion for what they're doing. And that's all that matters.
And there's something to be said for that, uh, the trade-off. You know, you go to work and some people might work 10 hours a day to earn enough money to buy the things they want so they can take two or three weeks off a year and do the thing they want for two or three weeks a year. Mm-hmm. I am of, at least for me personally, I would rather make a little less money in life and have the quality of life on the longer term and on a daily basis. So I know that I come home and I look at my chickens and I dig in the garden and I do all of those things. And that's worth taking an extra half an hour a day and having that just the moment of Zen, I guess, is, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> as it's called. Because it's, it, life is a trade-off. Do you work more for the things that make you happy? Or do you take a little less and be happy just through the things that you are not buying but you're getting, but you're producing? And I, I would say... Um... If you looked at most farmers out here, I don't really see any monetarily rich farmers. Oh, no. But I see them rich in their life of what they're doing. Do you have a garden, a vegetable garden or trees or anything of that? Yes, yes. Okay, so you know that joy that you get when you go out to the plum tree and you stand there underneath it and you pick a ripe plum and you, you take a bite out of it and it's dripping down your chin. It's the best thing you have ever tasted. And you say... I made that. Well, you didn't make it, but you know, you grew it. You helped it along. It tastes better somehow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know how that is, but it is. And there's, it's, it's absolutely one of the best decisions you can ever make. Really great points. Really good. This conversation we're having is part of a mini series, all regarding people, uh, both previous to the Mother of News Fair in Albany and afterwards talking to people that we met there. And so just to wrap up that idea of the situation with you being there, you were in Albany, and then were you also going to be in Kansas this year also? We're not for sure if we're going to make it to Kansas this year or not. We haven't got that on the calendar yet. We're in the post-production phase, and my husband tells me that's the, that the filming has been the easy part. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, so the next month or two or three, we've really tried to focus on making sure that, you know, we have the animation uh, in place, and we have the, a lot of and the uh, music the, composition. The and music. So there's a lot of things that have to happen in the next couple months to get it to come together, and... I have learned from him. It is the really tough part of the process. So we did quite a bit of travel. I mean, last last year we traveled what, every month, I think. Yes, it, it, we went somewhere least, every month. And some months, a couple places. And sometimes it's on the road and sometimes it's uh, it's in the air. We, have, we had companion status last year, which saved us with Southwest. Yeah. But it really does take a toll and catching up when you come back is a really hard thing to do. So we sort of made a decision that in the post-production period, we've got to focus on it. So we're, we think we might minimize some of our travel this fall just to get the film in the can, we think. Absolutely. We've broken this conversation with Rick and Alana into two parts. This is only part one. So I want to talk a little bit about what they said here, but be sure and listen to part two. You know, we met them at the Mother Earth News Fair. I really like how they're discussing how you've got to find an expo that meets with your ideal audience for your message, your offer, your service. You've got to find the ones that really fit in right. And they had attended and they had picked out the Mother Earth News Fair specifically for that reason. And that's something to keep in mind yourself when you start looking for any form of event to plug into. Make sure that truly fits into what you're looking to get out of it. 
One thing that's really clear here is their amount of passion for what they're doing. They've found something they enjoy doing, they're passionate about, and they've been able to build a business around it and at the same time be able to continue making a living on the side. So this is only part of their life, but they've been able to build it into their life without giving up anything else. I think that's really cool. And that whole concept of balancing things out and timing things just right, how they talked about their travel plans and fitting in all the other objectives that they're looking to get while they're traveling. That's great. It fits in with a lot of the other conversations that we had, the one with Scott Smith, the one with Uncle Mud. Lots of the people we talked to talk about how they've turned their business into a lifestyle and they've built it around their ideal lifestyle. That's something you always have to keep in mind. It's not just about a number at the end of the day on how much you're looking to make. It really needs to fit in across the board. Like I said, there's so much more conversation coming up. Be sure and listen to part two, and I'll see you over there on the next Off The Grid Biz podcast. Join us again on the next Off The Grid Biz podcast, brought to you by the team at brianjpombo.com, helping successful but overworked entrepreneurs transform their companies into dream assets. That's B-R-I-A-N-J-P-O-M-B-O. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Off The Grid Biz podcast, go to offthegridbiz.com slash contact. Those who appear on the show do not necessarily endorse my beliefs, suggestions, or advice, or any of the services provided by our sponsor. Our theme music is Cold Sun by Dell. Our executive producer and head researcher is Sean E. Douglas. I'm Brian Pombo, and until next time, I wish you peace, freedom, and success.